This is another episode of the Welcome to Podcast brought to you by the Land Information Access Association out of Traverse City, Michigan, bringing you innovative solutions for sustainable communities. I'm your host, community planner, Zach Vega. Be sure to follow Welcome To on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher app, or however else you get your audio content. And go to liaa.org to see what else our nonprofit is working on. All right, today's episode of the Welcome To Podcast is with my old boss and good friend, Holly Medill. And when I say old boss, I mean that she used to be my boss. She's, she's, def- she's not old. Um, Holly is the director of the National Charette Institute, which is housed at Michigan State University. Some of you may be surprised to find out that there is an entire institute dedicated to charrettes, um, especially if you didn't know what a charrette was, uh, as I'm saying it right now. So in this age of planning, when we're trying to give as many people a voice in the planning process and decision-making processes as possible, and bringing all stakeholders to the table at the beginning of a development process or a design process or a master planning process, whatever we're planning for, to avoid that double work and to make sure that we're being socially equitable by having as many voices as possible informing the decision-making. The Shred is really, right now, I think the best tool that planners have and the most comprehensive uh, to make sure that you're achieving what, uh, in the planning world today, we would consider to be good planning. Um, and, and like I said, that means that you know, at the beginning of the planning process, you've got the police department, you've got low-income people, you've got the developers present, you've got the police, the ambulance services, the the city council. Um, you, you're bringing together as many people as possible so that when you get to the end of the development process, or you're getting ready to implement your plan, at that point you don't have the fire department going, oh, that's not possible because uh, we're not going to be able to get a truck in there if there's a fire. You want to avoid that. And Holly is a key expert in designing charrettes, training people to implement charrettes, um, and then knowing how to do the follow-up once the charrette has uh, concluded and how, uh, how to bring that plan together. So I appreciate her time sitting down with me to talk about her work and the work of planners uh, around the country and how it can be uh, informed by the NCI's trainings and the work that they do. And I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, we are now recording, Holly. I've been thinking about giving my guests really bad intros, so I was going to say, like, uh, here to reintroduce redlining, Holly Medill. All right, let's give it for Holly. Um, okay, so what are so we're talking about charrettes. Um, some people in the planning field know what it is. What is a charrette? A charrette is a multi-day engagement with the public, with context experts, and with decision makers to design a problem, design a solution to a problem. Um, They are typically between four to seven days, depending on how complex they are. So why four to seven days? Why? So like some people do focus groups, some people do surveys. Um, some people just do regular community meetings. What is the advantage of doing a charrette? And, you know, you said it's four to seven days. And if you do the NCI charrette system training, check it out online. NCI charrette. That's Holly Medill, NCI. Um, it takes a long time to prepare for this. It takes a long time to get the team in place. What is the benefit of putting in so much effort for, um, a public engagement event like this? Yeah. Um, so one of the, there's a few benefits to doing a charrette process. Um, one of them is that you have a, you're bringing together a bunch of different groups of people who generally may not come together to solve a problem. And you want to seek that out. And you want to seek that out because the solution that you generate from that will have more community buy-in. You can implement that quicker. And doing the charrette process in a compressed time frame in four to seven days can often save you time and money. Uh, it isn't to say that just because it's four to seven days, that's all of the charrette process is. You mentioned the system part. And the charrette system is actually, we think about it in three different phases, a preparation phase of the charrette, the charrette itself, and then implementation phase. And that prep phase, depending on how complex your problem is, or your project is, can be between six to nine months worth of prep work, 
where you're doing all the things that you're, you just mentioned, where you're interviewing different stakeholders. You might be doing focus groups. You might be doing educational um, workshops in a community, if it's, especially if it's a technical type of topic. Um, you may be doing walking audits or um, any number of engagements prior to that four to seven days to gather the data that you need, uh, and then also to prep everyone so that they have the tools that they need to participate fully in the charrette. The reason that we advocate for four to seven days is because we also advocate for three feedback loops with the public. And a feedback loop is where you have, um, they are giving you information, your design team is, is drawing and creating plans, and then you're giving that those plans back to them for feedback and comment. And so usually it takes between four to seven days to be able to fit in three feedback loops. Okay. What does a, let's, let's, let's paint a picture. Let's paint a picture for the audience of what does a charrette look like in terms of the setup? What, like, so four to seven days, what's the space look like? Who's showing up? What, because you're there all day. For four or seven days. So, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, one. Let me bust one myth there uh, before we paint the picture. Is that not while the shred is four to seven days? Not everyone is there the whole time. No, that'd be weird. That would be yeah. weird and hard. Why are you here? So, <laughs> don't you work? <laughs> yeah. Your design team and your charrette team, of course, is there the whole time. Right. Um, and actually, some of them may be in and out, um, but your stakeholders that you're bringing in, you're bringing in for key touch points um, throughout those four to seven days. So um, typically, we hold the charrette at or near a location of of the study or, or the project. For example, um, when we're here on MSU's campus and there was a charrette that looked at the corridor of Michigan Avenue from the Capitol down to Weberville. And so the charrette was held across the street at, I think it was the defunct Barnes & Noble building, um, which is an empty space. Um, and so for in those, in those days that you're holding the charrette on day one, your project team is, your charrette team is coming and setting up shop. Your, um, they might be doing tours. You might have a meeting with your steering committee if you have one. And then you're prepping for typically um, a visioning session in the evening where you're drawing out the vision from community members. Um, and in the charrette, we like to talk about bringing three different types of groups together. I talked about the decision makers and the content experts. This so would who, be who like would that be? Yeah. transportation specialists, um, housing, um, police. economics, police. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone with like a specialized knowledge about a particular topic, yep. whatever the charrette's on um, or the data need is. Um, but then there's also the stakeholders. We think about them as contact context experts. Those are the residents who live in the community who know where they actually walk from A to B to. Mm -hmm. And and they know where they can't get to because there's um, a really bad railroad crossing that they can't cross or they know where high crime is um, and they know where the grocery stores are. Those are the context experts. So um, bringing them all in to the same space together to think about what they want their community to be in the future. It happens on that first night. Um, and so the following morning is when you have your design team taking all of that information. Um, you might have ta different tables working on drawing things out on maps, uh, and they're compiling all of that together the following morning and then getting their marching orders for what they're going to be drawing out for the next two to three days. Usually, um, during that time frame, we're creating between three to five alternative concepts for people to consider uh, rel related to the topic. And then during that time, we may, we'll have stakeholder meetings at various points between days two and three to ask them about alternative concepts or specific points. Mm -hmm. That's the second contention. feedback loop, right? Yeah, yeah, that is a second feedback loop. So the first one is, here's a map. What do you want to see here? What's the problem? give them a design image they say i like uh that bike rack but that one's a little too modern for our sweet rural town um change it and then what happens 
And then your design team goes back to the drawing board and tries to take all of the elements that were preferred and mush them all together into a preferred plan. And that happens between days four and five, where you're taking those, the elements of the concepts that they told you that worked or that they liked and merging them into one document and one design. And then you're also having touch points with them during that time. It may be an open house. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also may have, be having other stakeholder meetings where you're flushing out really the details of the preferred plan. And so that's feedback loop maybe two and three. Sometimes there's more than one uh, in a, or more than more than three in a charrette process. And so for um, people, so if someone is looking to do a charrette, um, besides contacting Holly Medill, NCI, MSU, what, so let's say they're in a different state, um, they think uh, maybe I can just do the charrette on my own. How do they, how should they get started? They should come to an NCI charrette training. Of course. That's NCI at MSU, <laughs> Holly Medill. Right. Um, I mean, the great thing about our courses and what I really like about them and what I like teaching and offering them is that they offer 30 years of collective experience between the developers of the curriculum on what not to do and what to do in yeah. charrettes. I'm sure there's a lot of what not to do's. There are. As there are in a lot of community meeting facilitation type events. That's right. So you get the benefit of 30 years of experience of making mistakes and and celebrating victories. And what's a good mistake example? Oh, let's see. I know calling a city a township or a township a city is always a fun one. Well, let's look at even just uh, charrette logistics and where you where you hold them. Um, I remember one um, charrette story was they had the charrette at a hotel. It was that wasn't their choice. Um, and they ended up eating the same food for seven days. And by about day four, the charrette team was on mutiny and was leaving the charrette studio, <clears throat> excuse me, to go and get food. Mm-hmm. And um, just simple stuff like that. But so sometimes there it's simple like that. And then other times it's um, more about how to facilitate things in different ways. And I wanted to go back to... Uh, point that we were making within the charrette schedule and it was that so this design studio where you have your location for your charrette your design team is set up there so I mean you have plotters you have a bunch of computers you have paper you have maps you've got markers and pens and like everything to create and design uh, design with and so your your design team is there the whole time And you have people coming in and out of the studio for specific touch points at the stakeholder meetings, but you can also go out into the community at that time. So we also may have small teams of the charrette team or designers heading out to like a senior center or um, an industrial complex during a shift change or schools or anywhere else where it may be difficult for people to get to the charrette studio and engage or a community a large community event to engage to make sure that we're trying to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, though, the charrette is or the studio is open uh, usually uh, at any point in time so that you can come through and see what's going on. Do you edit those moments? Out? I do. I totally okay. do. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I can yeah. have those moments too. Yeah. Yeah. No. Some of our, some like uh, talking to Rex, he is, he can just talk straight up all the way through about domicology, <laughs> but, um, Sometimes you get like the, um, for a good 20 seconds. That's how I talk. Um, oh, I was going to say maybe it's for people who aren't, because I think our audience, a lot of people aren't going to be familiar with planning or what we do and what planning is. So the idea of a charrette, to go back to the French uh, mm-hmm. definition of the cart of uh Architecture. Uh, I can't even talk today. What's going on? Um, so architects, they would be on charrette. If you've heard the term, you watched that Mad Men episode where Don Draper's like, you're on charrette tonight. That was, a, was that a good John Hammond impression? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you're on charrette tonight. And what that basically means is while the preparation for a charrette may take, uh, you know, four to seven months or it's four to seven days, but it might take half a year to prepare for. The purpose of it is that you're cramming 
a lot of work into a short period of time because that's how you can usually get the most creative uh, juices flowing from you. And um, the idea is that if you put a bunch of designers in a room for four days and you say, all right, this is what we need. We need five designs for this street corridor with uh, certain types of trees and all this, go. If you're stressed out and freaking out, and we've all seen the – we're in MSU right now. We see these grad <laughs> students. They look scared. Um, it's it's a good way to get a really comprehensive view of what the community wants and also get a really creative, interesting um, result from it. Yeah. So I think that's the big benefit of it. If anyone is like, what is a – why don't I just do a focus group? Right. Yeah. Um, bringing people together for that compressed time frame um, – can create a lot of energy and can pop open different ways of thinking um, when you have a short period of time frame to have it happen in. And so you might have, uh, oftentimes you have breakthrough moments in those situations where you might be at an impasse, but you know that you have to have a product in X number of days um, and suddenly a solution comes um, comes forth that that wasn't there previously. And the other thing uh, that helps do that is to have those three different kinds of groups together um, in that space. So that the word um, charrette is French for cart, and it goes back into the 1800s at a uh, design school in Paris where the professors would send around a cart to collect the works from their students. And oftentimes they would be sitting on the cart finishing it. I know you have never done that, Zach, um, while it was being uh, taken back to the professor for review. So that's where this um, time compression, creative um, flow kind of concept comes from. So let's say I'm a, I'm a planner in uh, – I'm a county planner somewhere in – Let's, what state do we want to work with here? Let's say I'm living in Kansas. I don't think we have any listeners in Kansas yet. Um, we got a couple in California and Oregon. But uh, Kansas, we haven't hit them yet. Um, let's say I'm in Kansas and I have a corridor that's a little bit – the retail's kind of going away because Amazon – not to blame Amazon. We like it. Um, I like it. It gets there so early. Um, but let's say the retail's kind of going away and people aren't walking there, car traffic is really fast, and we want to completely redo it, what, what's, what's your first step? What do you do? Are you calling everybody? Where Are you collecting traffic data? Are you trying to figure out, are you doing an inventory of what land uses are there? How, how comprehensive are you getting? All of the above. Um, depending on the project, when, when we say that we are spending the bulk of our time in the charrette in the prep phase, we're talking about preparing three different things. We prepare our people, we prepare our data, and we pre prepare the place. Um, so in preparing the people part, we do a stakeholder analysis to understand the different viewpoints in the community. We think about what issues they might be bringing to the table and what they would feel good about leaving the table with, and then designing their participation in the charrette process. Um, what do you mean by that, design their participate like where how they're gonna how we would engage them yeah. in the actual charrette as well as how do we prepare them in advance of the charrette so would interviews be good focus groups do they need a little bit of education to participate fully right so if we're stuff. talking about like a corridor redevelopment transportation right you know traffic counts they need to kind of know some yeah of that. So, or if it's a wildlife project, you know. Yeah. So for the transportation piece, you might want to have um, a technical work, well, technical and air quotes workshop around um, traffic counts and walkability and what that means. And there's a lot of misconceptions about road diets. Or if you're considering a, heaven forbid, a roundabout or a traffic circle, you oh, might want to have a little bit of education around those. <laughs> yeah. she'll, she'll take different routes. Wow. Based on if there's a roundabout. Yeah. yeah. So, just... yeah, people do freak out about a lot of different stuff. They do. So it's a, it's an education component for them so that they can effectively participate in it. Like, um, So we do a lot of coastal work of helping communities plan for the fact that Michigan's shores are – they go in – you know, they fluctuate in and out, but on average it's like one to three feet per year that the shoreline recedes. And so – we get people like Dick Norton from U of M mm -hmm. and Guy Meadows from Michigan Tech to come down and sort of explain that dynamic in mm -hmm. a really easy to understand way with aerial imagery and all that stuff so that people 
they had the tools to participate. They, they could participate before, but now they're going to be able to comprehensively participate in the discussions because they have that background. Right. So this prep phase, you're identifying your stakeholders. You're trying to figure out what they know and don't know and making sure that they have the information so that they can effectively participate. So how, how much stakeholder interaction is there before the charrette? There can be quite a bit. Um, if you're, if, well, for example, if you are doing a project um, and you're doing both interviews and focus groups, you may, as a shred manager, and then you're maybe doing some topical item or workshops, you might you might see a particular stakeholder three times before they come to the shred, um, which, as not someone who is embedded in a community, I think that um, that could be substantial. The other piece of out of preparation, it, you had talked about data, and there's all different kinds of um, data that you can prepare depending on the project. So you Can't might have. That. I don't have to take that. Can I? You, I mean, you can. That would be the we know your the wildlife yeah. uh, charrette that we're doing. Um, depending on the project, it depends on what kind of data you're preparing. So you, if you're for doing transportation, you might be getting um, traffic counts. Um, you might be looking at carbon dioxide emissions. You talked about resiliency work. Um, in the charrette that you and I participated in, Lansing, we did a lot of work around um, crime data before the charrette. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to get Linda to talk about SEPTED. Ooh, that'd be a great For one. people who don't know, crime prevention through environmental design, yeah. Linda Nubani. Yeah. She is just fresh off a conference, the Criminology Conference in San Francisco. Yeah, that's what she says. She's getting back today. And uh, so she'll have a lot of feedback for you. That's exciting. It was good. And uh, yeah, so that work is continuing in a few different communities. So I look forward to that podcast. Yeah. So and you can, so basically what you can do charrettes on, I mean, the sky is the limit. Yeah. I. Anything that's contentious, really. Yeah. Anything where you need a... a and the main point is to what you're really trying to avoid is getting to the point where you've got all this participation, you're getting ready to implement this plan, and then uh, let's say the fire department goes, well, this alley isn't big enough if we have to put this fire out. And then you're like, oh, well, now we have to redo this whole plan. Or as Bill Leonard calls it, double work. Yeah, yeah. rework. Yeah, rework. so it, yeah, you don't um, want to do that. You don't want to do that. It, that is costly and frustrating and ineffective. Right. Um, so if anyone's not convinced yet that shreds are the way to go, it's basically it's because it's it's like it's like the sustainability approach to doing things where it might cost a little more up front because you're spending so much time on the data collection and things like that, but it pays off in the sense that you've got a plan that. You can implement it faster because people have are already bought in, and uh, you know what to expect during the implementation phase. Yeah. So imagine this. This actually happened this year. Um, two different. We used two different processes to get interviews. One where we asked people to just set up interviews, and we would schedule them. And so I had two months on my calendar with various um, interviews with different people, and so. I would have to, you know, start my day, get into something, stop, do the interview, put the notes together, and then move on with my day. Um, we also did a different process where we did interviews and we set aside three days and we interviewed everyone within those three days. And the amount of focus that I could bring to the three days instead of the gear shifting that happens between my brain mm -hmm. in a regular day where I have to stop work and then focus on the interview and then do something else. Um, it's more effective. And I think that the product is better when it was condensed. Right. Because you're 100% focused on it because you're, <clears throat> you have to get it done. Right. And that's the, uh, the charrette mindset. Yeah. Do you, you find the charrette mindset? Like, just control, like, everything you do now is charrette mindset. <laughs> <laughs> do I charrette my kids? No, I don't know. No. Um, but I wanted to go back to, you had mentioned, oh, using a charrette for a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, what are some examples? Uh, what our listeners may not know is NCI was created as a nonprofit around 2000 from these learnings of 30 years worth of um 
Charette Practice by Bill Leonards and a few others. And in 2016, it came to MSU and um, looking to expand and um, expand its reach and its the different the different ways that it does things. And so I think about the charrette not only as a process and a tool for community engagement, but also as a framework and you're just plugging in and playing different products. So for example, you met, we were talking about the charrette that we did in Lansing around septed and crime prevention mm-hmm. and placemaking. And so that was a really different product than what you'd get out of a corridor revitalization charrette. And we're experimenting with um, currently using the charrette process to develop an education and outreach plan for a wildlife disease issue. So that's never been done before. So I really like to think about the charrette as this framework where you're just swapping out different products. I recently worked with a diversity um, firm out in Maryland who was using a charrette process to develop a strategic plan for a company around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And um, that was not full seven days. You know, for some of the um, different kinds of products where you're not maybe drawing and that aren't as intensive um, from a design standpoint, right. it, it may not take that long. Um, so I'm really excited about thinking about different ways to use the charrette as a framework for different things. And even that one we did in Lansing around crime prevention was really applied research. I mean, we didn't have a neighborhood in Lansing coming to us and saying, hey, we need some help around crime and placemaking. We went to them and said, hey, we've got this idea. Can Let's try it together. And um, and I think it worked well. Yeah. And it, I, so I was um, studying for the AICP exam. Which I passed, so in case anyone's wondering how much I know about planning, enough. Um, and I was, I was, you know, I was rereading some of the things like communicative planning is really where we're at in the in the. So people who aren't aware of the how planning work has taken place over the past two thousand years, um, we're just at a place now where we're sort of giving more power to the planner. Isn't the top down de facto right or wrong how to do things anymore. That's not how we do it. It's uh, the communicative approach of you don't know more than the whole room of people that are there. So you don't know more than the police and the kids and the school teachers and uh, everybody. So the, the, the planner is now more of a well, I guess facilitator is what you are, but you're you're the one who brings instead of you being the one who says, "Okay, we need a new corridor plan." I know all the best practices. This is what we should do, and uh, and I'll inform people of what's going on, and you know maybe solicit some surveys of which one they like more. It's more of getting everyone in the room, and then you create a discussion around these things, and then you're just listening to what they want, and then implementing what they what the what a wide range of stakeholders want to see, and there doesn't seem to be. Um, another tool like a charrette to make that happen right now. That seems to be, you know, there's a lot of different facilitation techniques, but the one that's the, probably the most comprehensive to get people in a room to get a, a really comprehensive plan around a specific topic, or even just, it could be a whole master plan update. Mm-hmm. It's the charrette. Yeah. I mean, you would be looking at, you could you could do all the things outside of the charrette that you would normally do when developing a plan. You you would be gathering input, but then you'd be going out and, I don't know, maybe talking to transportation experts and bringing that that back. And then you might be going Mm -hmm. out and doing that um, with um, some kind of environmental specialist or public health or something. But uh, the Charette process brings everybody together. Um, For better and worse. (laughs) Yeah. And I, what I love about, I think it was one of my colleagues here on campus um, talked about that I think the charrette process embodies is the the thought that everyone has something to learn from everyone. Yeah. And, um, and that when we're all in that learning space together, we can create something special. Yeah. What are some other examples? You saw you, um, chronic wasting disease, septed. Uh, corridor, what are some of the more interesting, uh, some of the topics where you're like, I don't even know if a charrette can apply to that. And then you're like, yeah, maybe it can. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's not so much me sitting around thinking about what this could work 
Um, but I have people contact yeah. me and say, hey, does this work? And how do they contact you? NCI, <laughs> NCI at MSU. At MSU.edu. <laughs> That's right. Yep. It's Holly Medill. Um, so some of the more interesting ones uh, over the past year that I've heard uh, was a teacher wanting to use it in a, in a classroom setting. And um, another one was around... What, what was that classroom setting one? I haven't dug into it. Oh, I haven't okay. had time to think about these things a whole like lot. Like what type of crayons we're getting for this yeah. year? <laughs> I, think, I think it was maybe at the high school level. Oh, okay. Um, Curriculum stuff? Yeah. Okay. Um, but another really interesting one was around um, could we develop a, a grant program and could we also get grantees out of that at the same time? Hmm. That was interesting. That is interesting because then you're getting people on the, you're getting grantees and grantors mm -hmm. on the same page of what's going on here, which makes mm -hmm. it more likely that they can work together. That's right. You'd think that they would make some more successful projects. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, and then the other the other interesting one um, that I heard floated uh, this year was around um, public health and could we do this? Could we do? Could we help? Well, let me back up and say I think that community hospitals have to, as a result of some IRS change in the last I don't know maybe five to ten years, have to do some kind of an assessment or an audit in the communities that they're within. And, and I'm sure they're technically prepared to do that right off the bat. <laughs> I'm not sure going to comment have. on that. Um, but I, well, I mean, that's the, that's the issue is. Yeah. Well, that's the issue with a lot of these shred topics is you, nobody knows everything and a lot of people don't have the technical skills right. to, to do these things. So could we use a charrette to bring in consumers of community health services along with providers um, to look at what's available, what the needs are, what they're providing, and then try to connect the dots in a way that mm, will take less time and might be more meaningful for everybody involved. So those are just some... some Have you done other things ones. on public health? Because that seems to be, in Michigan, one of the larger planning areas that's gotten a lot more attention in recent years. Yeah, I mean, aside from... There's from the public health standpoint of resiliency and disaster recovery. There's all there's charrettes can play a role there too, either yeah. in the pre-planning of disaster work or or post. Yeah, that's about it. Okay, what are some of the so for people maybe wanting to do a charrette? What are some of the uh, if you could go back in time and redo something? What are some of the larger? I don't want to say mistakes. But if you could go back, what were some of the barriers that are pretty common to run into during a charrette process? I think uh, that most of them and most why we spend the most time on the prep piece and uh, we spend the majority of our time on the people piece is because we've missed someone in the charrette process. Mm. And Is it usually like a whole organization or like one very uh, savvy uh, resident or something like that um, or both? I would... I would classify it more as we missed a viewpoint mm, okay. <clears throat> instead of a particular person. I mean, there's there will always be people who come to um, events looking to blow things up, I think. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of planners <laughs> listening to, that are going to be listening to this like, oh, my gosh. So plan on that. Yeah. Expect that. Some people just like to not have anything change, which, you know, that's a, yeah. that's a viewpoint. And we're in the yeah. business of – Providing change and planning for change and cha even good change is hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, reducing the barriers to that. But I would say, yeah, that most most of the time it's um, we missed a viewpoint or there wasn't enough time to adequately prepare for that. And so you're having to kind of do it on the fly during the charrette, um, which is okay too. And, and most of the time it works out. Um, it works out okay. Um, I was in the, the Lansing charrette. Um, I wish that we would have had more time because it was an applied research one. We had a little bit of different constraints around that. And, um, but I wish that we would have done interviews and I wish that we would have had the time to reach out to different um, groups within the neighborhood to get some more um, diverse opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that was a good charrette though. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of diverse yeah. opinions there, but yeah, I see what you mean. What about in the Shred, uh process itself? Uh, not the process, but at the at the studio. 
do you have any uh not maybe not specific stories but people who maybe come in and you know when one person oh, has a yeah. very interested like they're like we need this yeah but that's not something that anyone else has said how do you deal with that yeah well a couple of things um that come to mind remind me to talk about the greeter but um oh, okay. what where i'm gonna go with is in advance of the charrette you are always talking about the constraints of the project this is what's on the table. This is what's not on the table. Mm -hmm. This is why this is on the table. This is why this is not on the table. Is that part of the preparation phase, is educating people on that? Or is that something you figure out and then tell people at the at the meeting? Probably both. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it depends on what engagement you're happening, what you're doing in the prep phase, that what kind of information to provide. But yeah, generally speaking, you're always talking about the project. And, um, and so you can always have those things to come back to. We're not going to be doing that because the slope on the site won't allow it right? or any number of things. Um, and the importance of the greeter at the charrette. So imagine this big, giant room, and you've got all of these the equipment around and the designers around the table. You may have an, a big conference table where some of your stakeholder meetings happen. You always, always have someone who's designated to greet people when they come into the, to the studio. Um, for a couple of reasons, um, to take their feedback and to make sure that that gets into the design process mm -hmm. as relevant, and also to protect your designers from, so that they they need an uninterrupted time during some of the charrette to mm -hmm. be producing the product. Yeah, and and they can't because you're welcoming people. Because, um, for example. Sometimes in projects, you'll do a feedback loop similar to a shrap process, but it's not a shrap process because you're doing it on different days. So, like, you'll prepare a design for people and then show it to them. But you're doing that design work in isolation. But during a shrap process, you've got the designers right there clicking away on their computers, and then you've invited the public to come in and look over their shoulder and go, what are you doing to my 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 driveway? And right. So, so you need a greeter to kind of what what's what are they doing? Yeah. So um, they are they're running interference. Um, well, there are certain times in the studio where it is o more open, and the designers, depending on what phase they're in, have time to have those conversations with uh, with stakeholders, um, which is I think really cool of a mm -hmm. charrette process. Um, there are other times where they need to they just need to be working to get to get done. You talked about the. The compressed time frame, oftentimes they might be there till midnight, you know, and then they're there right at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and so they are, um, your greeter has to be knowledgeable enough about the project to be able to explain why something is or isn't in the mm, concept that okay. you see. And, um, and also be able to ask the right questions of the stakeholder to make sure that the feedback they're wanting to give is, gets into the process too. Okay. So what, like, what do you do if, uh, so it's, it's very open to the public. So you've got a greeter who's kind of making sure that it doesn't get out of hand, but how do you deal with somebody who's looking at the designs and going, there's no way we can have that here? Um, in some cases, I'm, I'm thinking that that might happen during an open house yeah. where you have the designs up and people are walking through and looking at them. I would bring in a designer and say, Hey, um, let's talk through how we landed on this process. So um, hopefully that, well, I mean, say hopefully that person was involved so he or she could see how it got to that point, but sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. So they could provide the, his the designer can provide the history of that concept and what's included and what's not and why to help them understand. Um, and then to also find out if there's something that was lacking in the consideration that's really important for it to move forward. Okay. What is out of scope for a SHREP project in terms of, um, like, do you lay out, is the goal of a SHREP process, I know for Lansing we did design concepts. Um, for other ones, are you assigning responsibility for implementation? Are you actually developing a, like, how detailed are you getting or is it more of a visioning process? Um, depends on the project. Mm -hmm. um, let's pretend that you're doing um, a charrette to develop a form-based code, which, by the way, I'm assuming this is going to air afterwards. But on Wednesday, we are partnering with the Form-Based Codes Institute and doing Ooh. a webinar on that particular topic. Um, I think I got that email. 
Yeah, I bet you did. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, you would be developing the vision in the charrette and and some of the elements of a form-based code because those have to be calibrated pretty specifically. So there would have to yeah. be some, I mean, implementation happens a little bit after that. In some cases, and especially the policy-oriented ones, I'd like to see us start doing kind of a who, what, when kind of time frame as our last activity in the charrette process. And like, here's the design or here's the policy that we're going to implement. Here's the plan with some specifics about what the next steps are and who's going to be taking those. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a little bit of a gap between the charrette process itself and the implementation piece, in part because... That's like all planning, though. Yeah, because there's... You can only get so far in a week, and then you have to go back and polish stuff, um, usually maybe four to six weeks between the charrette and then when the plan is done. Um, and the other thing that you want to make sure, or the benefit of the charrette is, is that you don't lose time in that in that period because um, there can be turnover, there can be new information that surfaces that impacts the project, mm, and the sooner yeah. you get the project out the door... Um, as it was developed and intended, um, implementation is easier. Yeah, that, I guess that brings up another question. So if it's a, it can be a year-long process to get this going, How, have you ever had to deal with, you know, a new city manager comes in or um, a key stakeholder leaves and someone else, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, well, a lot of times were brought in as consultants. And so um, where that gets impacted, I haven't seen it so much in the processes of the actual charrette itself, but um, on the back end of implementation where you've done the charrette and then, you know, the particular site is starting to be developed and there's turnover. And so um, so sometimes that requires rework and going back. Oh, um, no, not rework. I know, rework. Um and so that's why we try to con that another reason why we try to condense things and get things moving as quick as we can is to inevitably there will be turnover in a community um, and not to try to cram anything forward that shouldn't be going forward, but just trying to seize on that momentum to help it implement what it wants to is a benefit. Okay. What are your favorite facilitation techniques to use in a charrette process? Well, one that we always use is just the hands-on exercise where one of the goals of the charrette process is to get people drawing and working with their hands and being active. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of different tools, but even just um, – Walk us through some of those. Asking the – okay. Um, no, no, because like I'm actually uh, – so I'm doing some master plans right now, and I have found that my arsenal of activities mm -hmm. is starting to run a little thin. There's only so many sticky dots to go around, mm -hmm. only so many map exercises you can do. Mm -hmm. So what are... Uh, sure. Well, I can... This week on Holly's top 10 <laughs> facilitation I, techniques. I can Number tell you the one. ones that I like, and then I can give you some resources on where to go for some oh, others. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I we always teach the hands-on exercise uh, in our course, which is getting people around a map with some markers, and we ask two questions. Um, the first one, it well... Two sets of exercises. The first one is we ask them to identify strong places and mm -hmm. weak places. I think I've heard that phrased in different ways. Yeah. Like, what are you What are you proud of? What do you What concerns yeah. you? Yep. Yeah. Um, and we ask them to write it out on a sticky note and also to draw it on the map. So we mm -hmm. have like two sets of data going into the Charette process. The second question that we ask them during the visioning exercise is: You've been away for twenty years and come back. Draw what you want to see. Or what yeah. you would from your best place of hope if for you're your in a community. hot air balloon floating over. Yeah, that's what we use. Um, some variations on that that I've seen that that were interesting is um, in one charrette that I participated in, they had the big map exercise, but they had um, the typical land use colors and markers, mm -hmm. and so they said, you know, draw your hopes for housing, and so they picked up the marker that displayed housing and they drew out housing. And then they said... What do you mean? Like they drew where they would want housing? And what kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, where do you want your parks and open space? 
take a green marker, mark that in. Um, Isn't that the best? Because then you're, it's people without the bias of an education in planning. It is. And you know what's even better? At the end of the day, you have a land use plan at every table. Right. So they went through transportation, housing, green uh, green infrastructure, open space, parks. Um, yeah. So that, uh, that one I thought was, was kind of cool. Um, and then connected, you know, how do you get from all these places? Um, so you have let's say six people drawing on one map. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you ever have that time where some guy's like, I don't want housing here. And someone else, everyone else at the table wants it. Absolutely. So how do you. That's where trace paper, a couple of tools come in handy. Mm-hmm. Trace paper goes over the top. So love your table can have alternative plans. I love having these geeky planner conversations with people. <laughs> <laughs> Sticky dots and trace paper, people headed to your local Planners store. don't go anywhere without them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one is you could have, um, a space, you know, if someone is really just struggling in a group where they could go and, and do the, the work on their own. Mm, okay. Um, time out. Kind of a, a time out, but, um, where they still get to have a voice in the process yeah. because you're, you know, if there's a, some synergy in the group, uh, trying that, to move forward, it, you yeah. want, you want to value that too. Um, so trying to trying to keep po- both of those pieces moving yeah, in the same I process. Was, uh, I always use, and Wayne B.A. taught me this, was to use the nominal technique for whenever you pass out a worksheet or an exercise to have people work independently for five minutes mm-hmm. and then start talking about it because mm-hmm. then the people who, you know, some people don't like to share at community meetings, especially when one person at the table is kind of dominating it, mm-hmm. to give everyone the chance to put their ideas down and then move forward. Mm-hmm. So what else What else do you um, Well, I like think it's do? important for us when we're thinking about engagements and facilitation is to be thinking about everyone's learning style and their communication style. And so mm-hmm. not everyone learns by drawing or communicates by drawing. Some people don't know. Some people can't write. Some people yeah. can't write. Um, there are different abilities, some you know, and so I think it's important to be inclusive and to be flexible enough and to design something so everyone can participate. Oftentimes at um, at a charrette process, and we did this in Lansing, when people came in, we asked them to write one phrase for how they would characterize their neighborhood right now and put it on a sticky wall. That's a form of engagement. Mm-hmm. That is a piece of data that's valuable. Um they walked to the next station and then they put it, they wrote down another phrase about what they wanted in their community in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked for them to put a dot on a map where they felt safe and where they felt unsafe in a community. So those are all different kinds of techniques. And um, some of my some of my go-to books, one is called Game Storming. Grab them off the shelf. Yeah. The Holly Medill Library of Outreach. I don't have all of them with me, but Innovating for the People by the Luma Institute. We've got Designing the Conversation by Unger, Nunnally, and Willis. And Game Storming by Gray Brown and and I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Macanufo? Macanufo? Um, And... I've learned the most by shadowing other people and having conversation. Yeah. Oh, and some of my favorite tools are the TOPS, the Technology of Participation tools. Those are um, really cool, and uh, I've been using those in What's different that? kind of engagements. It's um, like clickers. It is not clickers, but you could do that. It because you'd be fooled by the technology word in it. It's actually yeah. about the process. There's and actually so no technology. There is no technology. It's paper and those giant sticky walls that you can put the paper on and it sticks to the wall, but it's a, a fold-up plastic um, piece of nylon, vinyl. Anyway, and then they have a a, a bunch of different tools um, for action planning, for strategic planning. Those are some that I've been geeking out on lately. Yeah, it seems easier to do it when it's a design process because then you can use a lot of imagery. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing like a policy mm-hmm. workshop, um, what are what are you more looking at in terms of engagement? Yeah, so I think probably both of those things that I just mentioned um, yeah. are kind of a sticky wall where you're organizing thoughts um, or elements of, of something of a plan or a policy. Where you ask a question, have people mm-hmm. stick it up there, and then if there's a similar idea, 
to right. branch it down and then yep. you can start seeing some patterns. Yep. And so you, what you end up with is a matrix. So across the the very top row is maybe categories and then under each category or ideas or elements. Um, so you can use that in strategic planning or policy or plan work. Um, and then using their action planning tool is um, a way of taking one of those elements or a topic and then developing a 12 to 18 month plan around it. Like so, a 12 to 18 month implementation uh-huh, plan to right. roll it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so that context, I could see a charrette, maybe like a three day charrette where you are doing that or maybe two and a half day mm-hmm. where you're doing that visioning air quotes or developing those elements, your team goes back together, mushes that around, figures out the next process to use to start fleshing out some of the details around that. You might have some facilitated discussion the next day. Then your team comes back and pulls that together. Then you have the third day in action planning um, session where you're, you're laying out the process for the next, you know, year, year and a half. And then boom, you have a, policy or a plan and implementation on how it's going to get done comprehensive and everyone's been involved so you don't have to worry about uh, i was going to ask you about the flexibility of charrettes for people who are like i don't have a year to prepare for a charrette let's talk mini charrette Mm -hmm. or a lot of time we get um we don't have the money for a full-blown charrette yeah um and so i i think that there's there are purists who will say that a charrette is only four to seven days where it has three feedback loops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that there are also some who are more flexible who will say that there are charrette-like engagements yep. um, that are shorter, that maybe don't have three feedback loops, but are still providing valuable service to the community that they're trying to serve. And... Um, so that can be a one-day workshop. That can be a two-and-a-half-day workshop. And I think for these non-design-related charrettes around policies and plans and um, or maybe organizational strategic plans, the two-and-a-half-day to three-day um, process can, be, can work well. And then you still get everyone compressed into that time time frame they're focused on that just for that time and you can get some really good products out of it and i'm sure you're able to scope this out because you've done this a lot but how do you decide uh how does someone decide how much time they're going to need for a charrette how much how do you scope out how much prep time you need Mm -hmm. if it should be a three-day a Mm seven-day so a few different ways um in our course, we teach about, we use four different exercises. That's to, at NCI at MSU.edu. Just look for Holly Medill. It is. Um, we use four different exercises to prep for the charrette um, that, that you could use, that you could actually co-create with a steering committee. We use our principles to product matrix, so it sets out the, the goals of the charrette or the purpose, mm-hmm. all the way through the product. And so we line out the objectives, how you're going to measure your success. Um, and you're doing that with the steering committee as part of the... I would advocate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, aside from that, you could still use these tools to scope out the charrette process because you're going to need that eventually. Those guiding principles or those goals end up being the messaging around the charrette that you use. Mm-hmm. Um, we also use that stakeholder analysis that I mentioned earlier to figure out kind of who and how they're involved. And from there, we develop a roadmap, which um, for all of you project managers out there, um, it's a glorified Gantt. doing, Jim? It's a Gantt chart <laughs> with your um, all of your tasks along the left-hand side and across the top, you have your time frame and you're planning out everything in the charrette. Oh, not is that just, what that's called? It's a Gantt chart. Double oh. A, G-A-A-N-T. You actually taught me how to, uh, when I first started working uh-huh. at LPI, uh, you use that for the Boyd study, and I was like, that is so efficient. I use that for my thesis, and mm-hmm. people are like, whoa, look at this guy using the Gantt chart over here. Yeah. yeah I no, had that's it a... wrong. It's either double A or double T. I think it's double T. Double T. Yeah. yeah. But it is useful to keep you on track. It is. If you follow it. You can even do a kitchen remodel in four weeks using that. You won't make any friends, <laughs> <laughs> but you can get it done. Like, until Tuesday, you get the sink <laughs> in. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, valuable project management tool, no matter what project it is. Um, and so we, we lay out the entire process from beginning to end. And then that is usually how we scope out the cost related to it. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, then we just develop the charrette schedule. Um, you know, how many days we think we need. Um, I am, I'm liking the idea of doing it in a co-creation style, like for this um, education and outreach plan around chronic wasting disease. We don't know what the charrette is going to look like because we're going to co-create it with our steering committee, um, which is a little bit difficult to It's kind of scary to say. Yeah, you're like, hey, come and sit on the steering committee and help us develop what we're going to be implementing, and I don't know what that looks like. And I feel like a lot of people with their, you know, everyone's busy. Mm-hmm. Most people are probably like, well, I mean, you just tell us what the objectives mm-hmm. are and then we'll show up and participate. Mm-hmm. But we don't want that because we're working in a communicative planning approach <laughs> where we want, we are just the facilitators to, we're not steering the ship. We're, yeah. we're just the people who are there helping make sure that no one takes over the, the conversation. Can I go back and plug the AICP for you here for a minute? Okay. Because I took it this year also. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't recommend waiting 20 years after you get your degree and no. start your work. Do it right when you graduate. Do it right away. Yeah. yeah. For all the students. Yeah. Do it that November. If you graduate in May, do it in November. You'll still remember who Lindblom is mm-hmm. and what you know, all that stuff is, you'll forget it. I'm already forgetting it. <laughs> you know, 20 years later, you have a different yeah. skill set, but it's just, just yeah. get it done. Six weird. months and I'm like, what was the City Beautiful <laughs> movement? What is a green belt? <laughs> I shouldn't be saying that. I'm an expert in all of this. <laughs> it's all at my disposal at all times of day. I'm trying to get, I want to, I need to reach out to Mark Wyckoff because he's one of those people who does have all this stuff at his disposal oh, at all times right. of day. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. So I need to get him on here. Yeah. I, for me, it's uh, uh, learn it. Test it, cash it, yeah, and make room for something else. That is it's classic. Not good. <laughs> yeah, I think most people would say that that's not learning, but that's okay. We're not. Yeah, anyway. I would agree. <laughs> uh, so, for people who are interested in becoming uh, charrette savvy, can you talk a little bit about the charrette course that you guys offer? Yeah, uh, and I am super excited about where we're headed in 2020. So um, we've new decade, all, new you. That's right. Yep. We've always had um, two courses, the system training, which teaches the preparation piece, and then the advanced course, which teaches how to manage and facilitate the charrette. In 2020, we are merging the two of them, and we are also weaving through some diversity, equity, and inclusion pieces, and also some consensus building strategies into it from some external partners. Cool. And so it's a three-day course, a full three-day course. The first half day is done in webinar a few days in advance of the in-person training. And then it's two and a half days of the training. And um, so you'll learn how to do those exercises that I mentioned in that course. You'll role play some interesting public meeting scenarios mm-hmm. and try to get a handle on <laughs> on those. those. Those are always fun. Yes, they are. Um, you'll learn about cultural competency. You'll learn about some consensus building strategies. And uh, you will develop a charrette around a case study. Um, so it's a lot of hands-on work and not so much, not a traditional learning lecture by, style. learning by doing. Yeah, yep. Okay. And people um, can find that at... At NCI, uh, actually, I'd have to look the URL up. It's a little bit long, okay. but if you just well, Google, it'll be, it'll be posted on the yeah. description of this episode. And so, our first our first training that we're launching is in Detroit, and it is on April 29th through May first, um, with the webinar in advance of that. I think on the twentieth. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, go to NCI at msu.edu and get better at how do i say this nicely i'll edit that part out how do i say this more exciting what's an exciting ending an exciting ending let's see Um, what's a fun charrette pun i don't know i think that i should put that on my bucket list for next year yeah uh well anyways thanks for holly for being here she really is the charrette expert um and thanks for joining me and talking about charrettes i think it's a really great tool for people to use 
in their communities. And I see you're Googling, so I'm just going to keep talking. The website is yes. canr.msu.edu forward slash NCI. See, it's a little awkward. And you offer trainings all over the place. Still, we do. Right? Okay. And so we have public ones that we do. So if you're in California, you don't need to come to Detroit. Holly will eventually find you. But they might want to. Yeah. Um, and we're going to yeah, come. Yeah, come on out. It's nice. We're going to come to Denver in the fall. I don't have the dates for that yet. And we can always come to you and do in-house trainings as well. Yes. Okay. Um, I can't believe that I sat here and talked for that long. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Holly. Welcome to is brought to you by the Land Information Access Association. For more information about what we do, go to liaa.org. Music for this podcast was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Talk to you guys next time.